This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Listeners, this is Glynis McCarthy, co-host of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. Learning Teams embraces and respects the need for functional diversity and the diversity of thought to be present and an integral part of organisational and worker learning. This approach acknowledges and makes visible the differences that exist between genders in the workforce in order to identify health and safety risks and implement, maintain and improve effective solutions. Today is an episode of our special podcast series on women's perspectives, adoption and approach on the new view of safety and learning teams, where I have a discussion with a woman who represents organisational leadership, industry advocacy, safety practitioner and the regulatory authority. We will explore that individual's own journey the role of gender in safety and the potential of the new view of safety and of learning teams. On today's show, we hear from Barbara Christian Ziani, Manager Human Performance and EHS Programs at Quanta Services. Barbara is based in Houston, Texas. Quanta Services is a specialty contractor in North America, providing fully integrated solutions for the electric power, pipeline, industrial and telecommunications industries. Quanta's geographic footprint spans North America, Latin America and Australia. Please join me and my special guest, Barbara, as we learn and improve together. Hello, Barbara. Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Can you tell us how did you get into working? How did you get into this line of work? Sure. Thanks, Glynis, for having me on today. Um, You know, it's interesting really looking back over the last uh, 20 years of my career. Sometimes I'm a bit surprised that I'm here. I I actually started uh, as a teacher um, and then I moved into various research roles in the public sector um, and then in the private sector. And for about the last decade, I've been able to pull on my training in psychology and behavioral sciences, primarily in the oil and gas space, um, first working in health services and then really moving into more of an EHS role, studying human and organizational performance um, in oil and gas like exploration and production facilities, um, offshore installations, LNG plants. Um, And all the while I've really had this kind of major focus on serious incident and fatality prevention. So, you know, although now I'm working at Quanta Services in the construction industry, what I recognize is the people are the same, the hazards are the same, the ability to get hurt or killed is the same. And, um, And so that's really kind of my interest is sort of this intersection where psychology and um, and behavior meets organizational system design, uh, as, as Andy Baker would say. So uh, I'm just super excited to be doing what I do. It's absolutely a perfect fit. That sounds really interesting. And it sounds like you've been able to pull together your strengths from lots of different, I suppose, work life experiences and kind of harness them all together. Um, tell me, if, if we think about, if you think about the keys to your own success, um, what would you say that they have been? 
Well, I would say for me, it's really, I feel so privileged to be doing this line of work and then having had that um, not only academic, but practical experience, really understanding people. So the, the psychology aspect um, and understanding how people change. And I know probably some of the um, organizational change experts might get uh, offended if I say this, but organizations don't change by themselves, people change. So understanding that people are constantly on a change continuum has been tremendously helpful for me um, in helping really kind of change the narrative, um, you know, at my company now and, and my previous company before. So I think for me, understanding people and understanding the underpinnings of psychology and how people change and what you need to do to motivate them towards positive change, um, for me, that has been a, a major key to success. And so I take that you take those kind of um, the, the learnings that you've had and the experiences that you've had, and now you're being able to kind of put them into that safety two framework um, or the new view of safety. Um, tell me a little bit about how that the new view of safety kind of resonates with your own beliefs and, and the way that you prefer to work. Well, yeah, that's right. I mean, I think so many people come to this um, and get excited when it makes so much sense but yet for organizations to articulate the fact that people make mistakes. Yeah, so the new view of safety, um, again, for me, it really comes down to understanding that, you know, people are working in, in a system and that system is changing and varying at all times. Um, so coming in from more of a, a health and um, psychology standpoint, really, uh, to me, it just made so much sense because the people are working in a dynamic environment all the time and, and helping to understand what they're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis, understanding that context. Uh, to me, that was all about, you know, bringing my, my education into this world was, well, absolutely, we, we need to not only look at the problem um, you know, as a as an issue to be fixed, but look as at the organization as a, a mystery to unpack. You know, a mystery to explore. Mm -hmm. um, do you think that there that there is an, an I suppose a different layer being a female in this sector, and particularly now in this in the sector um, as we move into I suppose more of an understanding that we need to understand how people think, we need to understand how people learn, and we need to come alongside those people with expertise. Um, so often we need a slightly different skill set than kind of coming from the position where we're an expert. Do you think that there that um, your skill set is aided to by being a female? Do you think that that makes a difference to your practice? You know, I, I think so. I, I do think it's really challenging for a lot of women, myself included, um, stepping into this space in a, a male-dominated uh, culture or uh, industry. But over time, I've realized I can really harness those strengths to my advantage. So I can't give the, you know, there's so much diversity in people and women, so I can't give the woman's perspective, mm -hmm. but I can give a woman's perspective. And I think for me, uh, what has been really helpful is understanding that, you know, sometimes 
I need to listen in different ways and people can listen in different ways. So, you know, uh, listening through your head or your heart or your feet. Um, and I often find myself uh, as a woman in a default position, listening with my heart. So what are people thinking? What are people feeling? And how are we going to move forward with this information versus thinking with your feet? Okay, so what specifically do I need to do? What actions do I need to have as a result of the information I'm processing? or listening through your head. So, you know, I'm uh, listening to the, the technical, mechanical, more linear side of things and really just trying to harness and process the information. So for me, um, I've found that women often uh, tend to listen with their heart, but that's a really good thing because especially in the work that we do, and if we're talking about learning, organizational learning and learning from the people directly, you get so much out of the context, right? And so much out of the mindset. And so for me, that's a, a real advantage that I, I feel that I have. Uh, look, I really concur. I've come from an adult education background myself, and I know I rely on the, that skill set constantly when I'm working, um, particularly when I'm trying to come alongside workers who I feel have gained mastery of skill. I think it's often really difficult to articulate what it is that you're doing once you've reached that point of kind of automaticity. So you, you just know what you're doing by second nature. And I think that the skill that I use from adult education, and perhaps I rely a little bit on the fact that I'm also a female is that I can get somebody to slow something down so I can ask a question as a naive inquiry um, and and then help somebody to unpack it in terms of language and I think that that's a really uh, big bonus when we're working in our field particularly when we're trying to understand how somebody does work um, and we're trying to, to identify where are the barriers or impediments in order for them to be able to do that job as efficiently and and as safely as they can do if you oh, I, I... Uh, sorry, I was. I absolutely agree that you know sometimes the best uh, person to have a conversation with, certainly in the context of what we're talking about learning, is the one that can come come in unassuming and say, uh, "I I don't know about what you do, but I'm open to listening, and please teach me about what you do." And through that follows a really great conversation. I think a lot of times as women, certainly younger women, uh, coming into this space. You have to lean into the discomfort and recognize that, you know, I may not have all the answers and I may not, you know, I may be a, a woman in a quote man's world, but I have so much to offer and just really listening, seeking to, uh, you know, listening to understand rather than seeking to be understood first. So absolutely. Um, I know in, in adult education, we were always taught that you speak to understand. Um, so the onus is on you in that speaking role, or speak to communicate, sorry, so that the onus is on you in that speaking role and that you listen to understand. And I think that that's always paid a great deal of dividends for me because often when we are listening, we're thinking about what will we say next. And when we listen to understand, we're really trying to listen to the nuance that's been spoken around us. And I think that that's a really vital skill. Um, and again, if I was to make a huge generalization. I think sometimes that women are slightly better at that than our male colleagues. Um, and again, that's a huge generalization. You know, I, I would say that there really is so much to that. And kind of going back to one of your previous questions about the keys to success, not only for myself, but for people to be successful in this space and you know, listening to people, listening to the voice of others and standing in the shoes of other people is emotional intelligence. So being able to sense and feel and read a room, um, certainly not everybody has that skill. 
Um, but I think, uh, again, one woman's perspective that has really helped me tremendously uh, in my field and in my role. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I think that we often downplay the value of emotional intelligence, um, particularly when we're trying to come alongside workers and really have a good understanding of work is done and where those, I suppose, those pinch points really sit. Um, I think that, again, what we have to be able to do is walk in the shoes of others without trampsing on people's toes. And that can be really delicate at times. You know, again, there, you know, there's sometimes when things are starting to move towards where we now need to have conversations, say, about accountability and so you've got to be able to navigate that space with a little bit of fluidity um, and, and it can be really challenging but I agree with you emotional intelligence is, is really important if we really want to understand how people are doing things what are their motivators what are the things that they're having to overcome um, we need to bring in a whole lot of skills and certainly that emotional intelligence is one of those key ones Absolutely. It, if you were to give some advice to some uh, to uh, to a young female coming into our profession, what might that look like? Well, you know, I've I've been very lucky to have had the opportunity to to mentor several young women, and what I find is that um, sometimes young women will have the position that, well, I can't do this because I don't meet all of the qualifications, you know, or I can't do that because there's a certain amount of criteria and I don't meet that threshold. And I would always say, you know, reframe the question that you're looking at. What are your strengths? What are you able to bring to the table? And so, whereas uh, sometimes others might look at a description and say, yeah, no problem, you know, I fit all of this and then just walk right into it. I think young women in particular um, have some reservations. So I would always say aim for more than you think that you can do. And people go in the direction that you question them, right? So aim for more than you can think you can do. And you'll find sometimes that you're able to get there much easily, much more easily. I wish I'd had that advice when I was starting out. Um, who provides you with mentorship now? You know, I'm blessed with a really wonderful uh, network of individuals, um, certainly people around, not just my company, because I, you know, it's funny that um, I think uh, Todd Conklin uses the word echo chamber. So I am conscious of trying to diversify and get, you know, differing professional opinions. So men and women both um, at, at various companies that I've had the opportunity to inter interface with, um, I often call them and look to them for support. You know, I say, I'm really struggling with this particular challenge, um, not just going to the colleagues I work with, but those outside of my organization that have likely gone through the same struggle. So I would say probably more than I can count. I'm very lucky to have a really good community of practice, if you will. And I think that's something that we're really trying to explore, um, you know, uh, here in New Zealand and Australia and and sort of really start to kind of build together practitioners who feel that they can kind of share their journey and, and really talk with one another and broaden that community of practice really kind of globally. Um, certainly through this podcast series, you know, we get to meet a variety of really interesting people that are doing some really fascinating um, work, uh, both in terms of the projects that they work on and the workplace cultures that they work within, but also in terms of thought leadership. And I agree with you, it's, it's having that diversity within that community of practice that really starts to excel your own practice. Uh, when you were asking about, you know, kind of bringing up and coaching and mentoring younger women, I wanted to mention the fact that regardless of where you are, um, you should always be making uh, 
making a plan to train your replacements, but, but more importantly, um, creating a seat at the table for others. Uh, that's one thing I have noticed that I've had to actively work on is uh, sometimes creating that space to allow someone else to come in and lean in when they don't feel like they necessarily have the credibility or authority to do so. So, uh, you know, definitely wanted to mention that um, as it came up. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be quite challenging, can't it? You know, that um, I, I, I know in my own role that often I'm starting a project. So there's a little bit of uncertainty or often a great deal of uncertainty as I start a project. And then you kind of, you get up over that kind of the cusp and you get right into the sort of the nuts and bolts of what it is that you're doing. And then there's always a tail part. And it's about where do you bring people along with you on the journey? Do you take them up over the mountain? Do you wait till you hit the, the peak of the mountain? And then you're coming on that downhill slide. At what point do you bring somebody on? And it, it can be really difficult at times when you've got your head down, really trying to nut something out, to have that kind of mental space to bring other people on. And particularly when they might feel a little bit uncertain themselves, um, it takes a whole lot more sort of effort and energy to be able to bring them along and give them a sense of, of completion that you also get as you go through kind of the different sort of ebbs and flows of learning. Well, and I think that kind of dovetails into much of what we talk about in this space, which is creating a safe space for conversations. Mm -hmm. How are we creating an environment where people feel, uh, you know, able to really bring their whole selves into the conversation and contribute equally? Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of uh, takes me on to think about how do you use learning teams um, in your practice? Right. So. Uh, it's interesting right now uh, at my current organization, you know, I've done some learning teams there, but we're really sort of stepping back to see what is the broader strategy for operational learning. So right now uh, we are interested in, of course, building that community of practice, but really utilizing learning teams specifically to understand how we plan and execute the work and then learn from that. And so then you can take those learnings and sort of bring them up or uh, put them into the organization as more organizational learning. So, you know, I, I suppose there's operational learning and then there's organizational learning. So operational would really be, you know, utilizing learning teams, of course, um, you know, small groups of individuals, bringing them together, creating a safe space for conversations. Um, and then what are we learning about learning? So you don't necessarily have a learning team to fix a problem. You have a learning team to learn. Um, and so, you know, being able to take those learnings and, and put them out into the organization in a meaningful way is very important. Uh, certainly, it's difficult that, she, you know, sharing is not learning. We often get these really good uh, reports or recommendations, and then we, I say we, you know, historically, many people have felt very compelled to send that out and say, well, look, we're sharing. So that means we're a learning organization and sharing does not equal learning. Um, but for me, I feel like I can't talk about learning teams without talking about Bob Edwards. He was really uh, my number one mentor in this space. Um, I, so I guess my style would really mimic more of his. Um, 
but how I have used learning teams, I think one thing that um, you, I believe you mentioned it on one of your uh, earlier podcasts, it's the difference between uh, baking a cake and cooking the chicken, right? And so I've developed my own style to cook the chicken, which is um, taking a lot of the, uh, I still use sort of an open free form way of conducting a learning team, um, but sort of codifying the emergent themes that come out, that has been a very helpful practice for me um, in when it comes to actually conducting a learning team is to take the information that's coming out and then during soak time, I'm able to sort of look at the wall of discovery and see everything that's there. And a, there's a lot of stuff there, you know, pages and pages. I mean, you yeah. all know that, right? It's, it's messy and it's not cohesive and it's not linear all the time. So you have big chunks of information potentially all over the wall or in a spreadsheet or however you do it. For me, it's on the wall usually. Um, and then really being able to pull out, these are some of the major themes that I've heard on soak time and then taking those back to the group to say, you know, this is what I have heard. Let's talk about these things. Do they resonate with you? Did I capture this accurately? And then within those themes, there's usually a couple of pieces or nuggets that we can pull out to use as a diving board or a springboard into creating the solutions. So that to me has been very helpful. Um, I know people get kind of sometimes people get weirded out that it's so free form and, you know, loosey goosey and they're like, what do I do with this? But that has been one way for me to help bring some structure vis visually to the group so they can see, okay, I can relax. Like I see that this is going somewhere. I think that that's such good advice. Um, I know myself um, having facilitated learning teams where you get such a wealth of information that it's actually really daunting um, as to where do you go with it and what do you do with it. And I think, you know, that ability to kind of look at it, assess it and codify it so that you clump it into some like um, themes actually really helps as a facilitator, um, but it really helps for the participants as well, because often they also, they've done this huge sort of, you know, kind of purge of what they're thinking and, and, and how it might relate to the, the scope of the learning team, but actually they can feel really overwhelmed. Um, and I think that that's a really nice use of soak time, you know, that they can go away and kind of think about what it is that's been said around them and what they've participated in. But as a facilitator, at that point, you kind of reframe things. Um, and, and that then means that coming into that sort of second session, um, and if there's subsequent sessions, actually it gives you the themes then that those sessions are going to be based on. And I think that that provides a lot of clarity and we often sort of call it down here that there's a little bit sometimes there can be too much talking and not enough doing and it's trying to find that balance you know that sweet spot in the middle um so yeah I, that really resonates with me also i've certainly had times when i've not done it well um so i've come out of a learning team thinking We've talked a lot of stuff. It's all really good, but I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do with it. And there are other times when I've had a lot more clarity and done something akin to what you've said. And I've come out of it feeling a lot better. And I think also the participants have as well. And then we're actually able to grab that information. And I think it's more able then to be sort of transported where it also needs to go around that organizational learning piece. Yeah, so... Well Right. It's it's not just a, a learning for the learning team. It's a learning process for the facilitator every time. Right. That's how you adapt and adjust and learn and improve yourself is figuring out, you know, the, what about that process was so much more difficult this time, you know, or what about this made it so successful? 
And when I've stepped back, you know, there's a, I would probably say there's two things, well, a couple of things that I would note that um, are, are so critical. You know, when you ask about learning teams, there's just so much there. But one of the things I found that, uh, of course, just through experience, unfortunately, is, wow, that didn't go very well at all. And it was what I learned was that the the scope statement was absolutely not the right level. So it was either too broad or too narrow. And so really going into the learning with a very good understanding of what is it specifically that we're here to learn about really helps to have, um, I don't want to say a, a seamless learning team, but it helps to focus the you know, the, the question that you're asking or the thing that you want to learn about. Um, so that's one thing. And then another thing, I guess, on the front end is really not setting, uh, you know, if you have a sponsor or someone who's endorsing this is really not setting someone up first for success. So, for example, if we're, um, if we're doing a learning team, um, certainly in my experience, what has been really helpful is to go in and talk to uh, the leadership team or the sponsors just to say, you know, this is what the process is all about. And, you know, you may very likely hear some things that uh, are are challenging or difficult for you to hear. And again, we ask you to lean into the discomfort. Um, you know, thank you for approving the time for people to get together and learn. And, and our expectations are that you honor the voices of those that come together to learn and that you don't have to take all the recommendations, but we certainly would like for you to explore them and be able to come back and articulate which ones you will support and why and which ones you won't and why, and then give that back to the team. So not doing that on the front end has also created some uh, hiccups on the back end. I agree with you wholeheartedly. If you don't scope out what it is that you're going to cover in a learning team, I think what happens is you end up going off on tangents. And as a facilitator, it can be really difficult to pull the group back again. But also for me, it's about setting the scene for participants, about what is their contribution, um, what are they being expected to do, and how are they being expected to behave to create that psychologically safe space so that people can share their thoughts and, and you know their opinions, and at the same time, not feel that they're going to be um, denigrated for, for their thoughts or their opinions um, and that they can maintain that honesty. And I think sometimes that's a really big ask of people and we need to build that up quite sort of, um, I suppose, we need to scaffold that. You know, we need to make sure that all participants are aware of what it is that we're doing and how we're going to do it. How is the information going to be used? How will other people perceive this information, you know, in the wider organisation? All of those things, I think, need to be negotiated up front. Otherwise, you have all of this uncertainty that gets in the way of good dialogue. That's right. And I, I'm sure you've seen it as just as well as I've seen it, is that if you are not doing that um, well enough in advance or people are coming into the room cold, you know, there's a lot of sort of what you can read very rigid, um, you know, posturing. Uh, like people are clearly physically not open to the process. Um, and so sometimes that in and of itself is an indicator like, okay, let's have a conversation about what this is and what this isn't, you know, what you say stays in the room. It's not, you know, he said, she said, pointing fingers. It's really about learning. And I'd love for you to tell me what you do. Absolutely. And when I think of it, there's a, again another layer that, that sits in with learning teams. And that's really to do with diversity of our workforce. And that diversity can be in terms of 
um, uh, people's ability to articulate what it is that they do and how they do it. It can be people's ability to critically assess what it is and how they do it. But it can also be to do with language and culture and language uh, literacy skills. There's so much diversity that really sits in with the people that we're going to be doing learning teams with. Um, how do you harness that diversity? Well, I think it's, it's such a great point, Blinis, that, you know, that's another reason or another thing that I've learned that uh, you absolutely have to have the right people in the room. And but when I mean right, I mean, uh, not everybody who, you know, thinks the same and looks the same and is part of the same team. Uh, it really, that is some work that needs to be done on the front end is understanding like, okay, if we have a group of people that, um, you know, the smartest people in the room or the people that dominate the conversation um, or the people that are just you know quiet and never really want to participate you don't want to have all of the same type of people in the room so really whoever the whoever you're working with to sort of sanction that team to come together uh, or you know sponsor sponsor the team to come together uh, would need to help you suss that out do we have the right people around the table and around the room because diversity of thought and opinion is so incredibly important. Um, not everybody, you know, I guess the, the saying is, you know, uh, not just two minds, but more than two minds are greater than one, right? Um, so it's incredibly important to have diversity of thought and opinion. And do you think this is where you really rely on your teaching background, your psychology background, and you know the ability to read a room, the emotional intelligence um, that you bring with you into your role? Um, I know for myself, coming from an adult education background, that that diversity that we come across. So sometimes I work with maybe, say, a whole lot of engineers. Um, and so really there, what I need to be able to do is kind of reduce that engineer speak and get people to kind of think about it from a more holistic point of view. There are other times I work with operators and they might then really uh, drill right down into how you do a piece of work. And again, it's about being able to pull people from their, their place of comfort, but provide them with a structure so that they can breach that gap that you might need them to go on in terms of having that learning team. Um, for yourself, how important is, I suppose, your other experiences in life? So from the teaching, from the psychology, but also having an understanding of emotional intelligence, how important is it for you to bring those three threads together? Uh, very important. And I, I try uh, to the extent possible to always be aware of, you know, who is speaking and how they're speaking. And again, reading the room and seeing how other people are reacting to that. Um, and I definitely think, yes, that that background, the early education in, in motivational interviewing and appreciative inquiry is so helpful because you're, what you're really trying to do is empower people uh, you know, in this case, to, to to learn and come up with solutions, but to find their, through their own voice, to find their own meaning and their own, you know, capacity for change to do that. So, um, I, again, it's it is really important to understand how people think, but then also to um, to monitor the room and see how people are are reacting and then being able to you know gently say if someone is you know capitalizing the conversation or taking it in a totally different direction being able to gently guide the conversation back to you know where 
you know, you as a facilitator, uh, you know, see that the conversation should be going based on the other team's feedback. So sometimes that's a, you know, that can be challenging, but that's why you have things like, you know, the parking lot, or that sounds like a really great solution, but we're not quite at the point for fixing. So if I can, you know, ask that you keep exploring and discovering with us, we, I'd really appreciate it. So just having the, I guess, going through the process so many times and having the the words to get people over that hump is is helpful. If there was some advice you could give to your future self, um, I suppose about um, I suppose about the new view of safety, about the value of learning teams. Um, what advice would you give to your future self? Hmm. I would say never lose sight of how you show up matters. So I know we talk a lot about, um, you know, in, in the space of leadership and leadership response matters. Um, and, and I absolutely agree with that. But I think for my future self, I would always say, or I would tell myself to be aware of, you know, how you're coming across and how people are perceiving you. Um, and, you know, sometimes some people can think something is funny and the other group can be turned off. And so really trying to be aware of, you know, all the different perspectives that are in the room um, and, and not really um, always having this, the strongest stance that you have the right answer at all the right times. For me, I have learned that, um, you know, showing up and really showing that I'm attempting to listen and then utilize what people are saying in in a positive way has been uh, helpful so i would hope that i can continue to do that um that's fantastic um i really appreciate your time today um it's been a really interesting conversation from my end i've certainly um, stopped and thought a lot about my own practice as we've been discussing um and so i thank you so much for for taking the time out of your busy schedule um to do this podcast with me well, I thank you, Glynis, and um, and the producers, and I am so pleased that um, there is more diversity of thought and opinion that's coming out from all different parts of the world. And again, you, you all are doing um, such a service in terms of moving this new thinking forward um, and really changing the narrative and, um, and changing people's lives. So thank you for what you do. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.